how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Daniel Farrens made friends by making movies. As a kid, he would write plays and shoot shorts with his Super 8. With horror movies somewhat banned from his household, he eventually gravitated to a love for slasher films, in particular John Carpenter's Halloween. At age 24, he got the opportunity to write Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Since his debut, he's also worked in other films in the genre, such as The Haunting Connecticut, The Amityville Murders, and now The Haunting of Sharon Tate. He's intrigued by a new take on Sharon Tate, who's played by Hilary Duff. According to the movie's description, pregnant with director Roman Polanski's child and awaiting his return from Europe, 26-year-old Hollywood actress Sharon Tate becomes plagued by visions of her imminent death. In this exclusive interview, Ferenc talks about being invited to write for franchises like Halloween, the difference in studio and independent films, the rules of slasher films, and how Hitchcock made suspense. There are some spoilers around the 12-minute mark if you haven't already seen the film. Gosh, you know, I, as a little kid, you know, that's kind of what I did. I, I, you know, I remember being like seven or eight years old with this little, like, plastic typewriter just hammering out little scripts for plays that I would make at school. And, um, you know, then it started, you know, as many people did, you know, with their Super 8 cameras and recruiting kids and I kind of found myself, you know, making friends that way. And, and my family moved around quite a bit and, um, you know, having establishing roots is not easy. And I, I think that was part of my way of indoctrinating myself, if you will, um, was having this creative sort of life. And, and, um, that that was you know that's kind of it was kind of in my DNA in a weird way so I you know it was something that I, I I've always done and I you know continue to do <laughs> bizarre but uh, it's it's strange to me that at this point in my life I'm still doing it and believe me it's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for it. So you definitely you know got involved into the horror genre. What were some of your early influences um, as far as writing or what kind of story did you want to tell? Mm, thank you for asking that. Um, you know, I, I, was, I will say, you know, I was, I was raised in a pretty, you know, traditional Catholic household in some ways. And, you know, these movies were a little verboten. They were forbidden fruits, if you will. <laughs> so when I was in my early teens, tweens, you know, I kind of got that, that fascination with, you know, the thing you shouldn't be watching. And uh, certainly this was at the early dawn of the VHS and, you know, home video era. So I was able to kind of sneak some, you know, rentals in there. Um, so, but I will say, you know, I think it was the original Halloween that, that was the one that captured my imagination, you know, that it terrified me, but it was so brilliantly made and, and simple and, 
you know, certainly spawned, you know, an entire subgenre of horror. Um, and, you know, the great sort of outcome of that for me was that I got at age 24, I was chosen to write the sixth entry into the Halloween franchise. And that was based purely on my probably insane knowledge of the, <laughs> of the franchise, as it were, you know, and I, I think I impressed the, the producers of the series with my knowledge of, of their movies, of their, of their series. And that's what kind of helped me, you know, kind of start my career. And so, I mean, you know, modern audiences now, we see tons of sequels and reboots. But at the time, um, you know, Michael Myers and maybe Rocky or Rambo, there weren't that many with so many. So what were the challenges and the pressures to come up with an idea and write that, write that um, sixth film? Gosh, you know, I mean, we were a little pigeonholed on that one. They had done a fifth one where they had introduced this kind of dark stranger, kind of like a man in black character. And it was, you know, and yeah, I go in to meet with the producers. They're like, well, who's the guy in black? I was like, don't you know? <laughs> you made the movie. <laughs> They're like, nope, that's up to you. So, you know, to me, I just kind of reached back into my, you know, knowledge pool of the previous movies, especially the original. And, and that's where I found the answer to that question. But, you know, I think I... W- in mind, what I attempted to do, I'm probably to, you know, mixed results given the way the movie turned out, but that was a lot of studio interference as well. Um, I learned that early on that that's, you know, when you're making studio movies, it's, it's a different game than making independence. Um, but, you know, I wanted to make a movie that kind of brought all of the disparate pieces of what we'd seen in these these previous entries so bringing characters from the first one and the fourth one and the fifth you know so i tried to kind of connect some dots so for me that was the fun part was kind of sewing it all together i felt like there were all these you know random pieces that didn't quite coalesce and i tried to bring them together so for me that was the approach and one thing i have to say about that one is that i was just thrilled to have donald pleasance you know in the film which sadly turned out to be his final performance um but having him on set, you know, as the as the grandfather, if you will, the grand kuba of Halloween was was a thrill that I'll never forget. Were you aware of the the various subcultures within horror? Like, there's you know slasher films, there's more possession films. Did you understand the rules at an early age, and and how do you use those rules in your writing um, today? Hmm. Good question. You know, I don't know if I was necessarily aware of all of these subgenres, if you will. Um, but certainly, you know, I knew the difference between a haunted house movie and a, you know, and a Jason Voorhees movie. Um, but I, I, I do feel like there's, there are some commonalities to all of that. And I think, you know, you, it, it, it's, and I go back to, you know, the Hitchcock rule, which is the suspense, you know, that sort of drawing that out as long as you can. And I think that's what was the key to the original Halloween was that it wasn't a sort of a bloodletting movie, although there's, you know, killing, uh, but it's all very much implied in a way. You don't see blood spurting across the screen at any moment. And it was never, you know, it wasn't until the later movies that sort of tried to replicate Halloween success that it became more sort of a bloody genre, if you will. Um, you know, the teenager motif. But, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, for me, it's always been about that dread of what's just beyond the door or who is that person that's outside your window you know, those are the things that, for me, captivated me, but also as an audience, just draw me in. So, um, yeah, those. I mean, if, there, if I understood any rules, it was the, it, it's what we don't see can all, all 
many times be much powerful than what we we do see. So, so where did, how did your new film come about, The Haunting of Sharon Tate? Where did the idea come from? How did you get involved with it? Well, I had just come off a, a movie called The Amityville Murders, um, which was about another true crime and, and, you know, kind of an attempt to kind of retell that story, but from a sort of slightly different perspective. And certainly the story of the Sharon Tate, you know, murders or the Manson murders, I hate to even use the word Manson because it's just been given too much attention over the years of who he was and who the cult was and all of that. But um, I was just interested in Sharon Tate as a person. Um and and the people that died alongside her, you know, a few people remember the Abigail Folger, uh, Wojtek, Frykowski, you know, Roman Polanski's childhood pal who, you know, sadly died there as well. And and a very famous hairstylist, Jay Sebring, uh, was a close, close friend of Sharon's, in fact, an ex-boyfriend of hers. Um, who had remained, you know, very much a part of her life until the end. Um, but I will say the genesis of it all was an article published in Fate magazine in August. Of, I think it was in August of '68. There was a, an article or an interview done by a writer named Dick Kleiner who interviewed Sharon on the set of of, her, of one of the films she was making at the time, and the subject of psychic phenomena came up, came up and he asked if she'd ever had a psychic experience. And she said, I think I have, and maybe you can explain this. And she talked to him about a, either a vision or a dream or nightmare she had had where she had woken up in the middle of the night. She'd seen this kind of strange figure in the house and she followed him out to the living room. And she, there she found either herself or JC bring tied up and having their throats cut open. And this was, you know, a year before they were both killed. Um, so some people think that that was a premonition of some kind, but I thought whether it was or wasn't, what an interesting idea, you know, to sort of let that be the jumping off point for a story that I could tell, um, as a, as a writer, as a director, where I could give Sharon Tate and her friends a fighting chance. And, and to go one step further, my inspiration was a movie that was shot at my own high school in the eighties. It was called Peggy's Who Got Married. Uh, by Francis Ford Coppola. It was a beautiful film, totally very different from this, but it asked the same question as, if we know our fate, can we rewrite that story? Is our book written for us before we're born, or do we have some say in how it all plays out? And so with that in mind, that's how I approached the screenplay for this, was I wanted to not be necessarily beholden to the moment-by-moment, here's-how-it-really-happened recreation of, of the crime, but by allowing Sharon Tate to have the foresight of her own death, make different decisions that will change the outcome. And that was the approach. And I wanted to find a way to turn the tables on, on her murderers. And to me, that was the most satisfying part of it is to, to in a way, rewrite this terrible wrong. That was kind of my next question. So when you're making a film like this, I would assume the priority is making a good horror film and the secondary you know, priority might be the, the facts, getting it you know, historically fiction accuracy the best you can. What were some of the points that you had to, yeah. to get to that you want to be as accurate as possible? Well, certainly the, the, the timeline around the murders and when it happened, um, a little bit of the setup, kind of like she was in this room and he was in that room and this is how they gained entry to the house. Those little pieces of things, sure, you know. Again, not as interesting to me necessarily uh, as how it could 
play out differently. And so, you know, not not suitable for press yet because the movie hasn't come out. But between us, since you've seen, I'm assuming you've seen the movie, um, you know, essentially what screwed me up was the idea that these are ghosts in limbo from the time the movie begins. And it's the story is being told almost in a loop over and over again, they're living out these days and, and Sharon's interpreting it as visions when in reality, she's just experiencing her own finale of her life. And, and, and through that, she's empowered to, um, to get, to, to, to change the narrative, if you will. Is that, is that part of the difference? Like in choosing the word haunting as part of the title, is it that repetition or that premonition? What was your kind of ideas behind that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I don't know. If, you know, listen, my, my movie is not about, um, you know, ghosts being, um, you know, kind of or, it's, you know, I think some people have misinterpreted it as like it's the ghost of Sharon Tate, you know, haunting another family that's moved into this house and couldn't be any further from the truth. I think in a way it's 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 it's, it's about fate sort of finding its way into our dreams uh, or our own. Uh, perception sometimes of reality. Uh, yeah, so the so the story really plays out as you know it's it's in a sense it's it's Sharon haunting herself, if you will. So she's not uh, she's not being haunted by literal ghosts, uh, nor is she haunting anyone else. It's it's she's sort of being haunted by her own fate. So what are some of the differences between you mentioned you're working on Halloween with a lot of studio interruptions versus some of these smaller films you're doing now? Is it I know it's more freedom, but what are some of the other benefits uh, to doing a smaller film like that? Well, benefits, I guess, like you said, freedom. Um, the difficult part is you're doing it on a very tight budget, a very tight schedule, and it's just it's 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 very very demanding. You know, when you're you're trying. I mean, this movie was made in 15 days, um, so that's challenging into itself. You know, especially when you're dealing with a pretty heavy subject matter and there's a lot to it. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of moving parts with any movie. Um, but you have to kind of keep your eye on the, on the goal, like anything in life. And I think just being tenacious and being focused on what story you're telling and how you want to tell it. I think that's the most important part. And the nice thing is, you know, there's a couple of us, you know, there's myself and, and Lucas, my producing partner and, you know, a few other people, but for the most part, we were left alone to make the movie the way we wanted to make the movie. So I don't think any studio would have allowed us to just go off and, and make this movie. I just don't think that would, would happen in today's climate. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.